Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to The Plays, The Thing. You have joined us for Act 3 of All's Well That Ends Well on this podcast for all things Shakespeare. I am your host, Tim McIntosh. I'm Nora Ankrum. And I'm Matt Bianco. You guys, welcome back to Act 3. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm going to start us off with kind of a big summary of the end of 2. And I'm going to kind of race us through the first half of Act 3. And then I have a question for you guys. And the question is going to be about honor. Because it seems to me like the theme of honor is really starting to show up in this play. And they seem like there are some competing visions of honor in the play. But before we get there, let me just review what happened at the end of Act 2. So at the end of Act 2... Um, Helena, this daughter of a kind of a lowborn daughter of a doctor meets with this very ill King. And she's like, I can heal you King. Great news. The King doesn't believe her, but he says, you know, if you do, you can have my, your pick of, you know, the best young nobleman in the land. Of course, Helena's totally down with this because she wants to get together with Bertram. She heals the King. The king, like she chooses Bertram from the court and the king says, great, you guys are going to get married. And Bertram's like, no, I don't want any of this. She's too low for me, but he risks making the king mad. And so he's like, okay, 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 I'll marry her. But now in this act, he kind of gets his, I don't know if you would call it revenge, but he like undoes Helena's plan. And he sends Paroles to tell Helena, we might be married, but we're never going to consummate the marriage. And so, right. Is it really even going to be a marriage? So he, Bertram sends Helena home to Bertram's mother, the countess, and then Bertram is going to run off to war. Um, so that is exactly what happens 
you know, Helena meets with him and she's like, maybe you will give me a kiss before you go. He won't even do that. It's just, everything's not going in, you know, Helena's way. It's just not happening for her. Bertram rides off accompanied by paroles. They go off to war a couple of, yeah, they're kind of just like, I'm going to say it. They're just kind of like a couple of hard drinking frat boys right now. Isn't that what's going on? Weak. You wanted to say a stronger word than that. No, I wanted to, (laughs) I wanted to say frat boys, but I realized like not every frat boy is as despicable as Bertram and Paroles. I think that's a known fact. I have plenty of friends who are fraternity graduates and they're nothing like those two guys. I, we have, and we have a huge fraternity frat boy following on the plays, the thing. So I just wanted to be careful not to yeah. offend them. Good. Right. Huge. Like if you look at our demographics, everyone says, what's the play, the thing Oh, the plays, the things that show that like really caters to the kind of the whole frat boy ethic. Uh, number what, one rated among number, fraternities. Exactly yes. right. Exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Helena goes home to Resilian. That's, you know, where home is. And the countess reads a letter from her son saying, yeah, I'm not going to be with Helena. And at this point, the countess is like, man, you're no son of mine. She doesn't go that far, but she is not happy. She gets pretty close. She does. Doesn't she? Yeah. She's super close. Helena is her only child now. So, I mean, she kind of does say it. Yeah. So, Okay. Nora, I'm going to ask you this first. We have these competing visions of honor. Like one of them is the countess's vision of honor. I'd love for you to kind of describe how she views honor. And are, are there, what are the other visions of honor in this play, Nora, aside from the countess's? Yeah, uh, well, I, I mean, I would say that the countess's is probably a a more traditional, right? Like this kind of in line with what, contemporary would think of as honor right um and i th- i thought of the king uh mm-hmm. the, the king of france his sort of view of honor it was it was very much um reward for services given um you know not not a lot of trust at first but you know it has to be earned not given um reciprocity that that kind of uh vision of honor yeah. but more than uh more than the positive, I thought of a negative uh, definition for sort of what the play doesn't call honorable, which we might, I don't know, I kind of found pause with, was um, truthfulness or uh, straightforwardness, if that's a good way to put it. Um, (laughs) There's, it doesn't really hold that up, you know, as exemplary in this play. That is such a great point. That never crossed my mind. Even the characters that I think we're supposed to respect are conniving. They all are. Yeah. I mean, and especially, you know, obviously, obviously at this point, even Matt cannot like Bertram. I mean, (laughs) even Matt. (laughs) (laughs) I do like Bertram and I'll tell you why. (laughs) I'm sure you will. But let's think, I mean, he is the one that is being straightforward here, right? He's like, nope, I don't like you. I don't want to marry you. I'm going to be made to marry you. I'm not going to consummate. You know, he's telling his mother this isn't going to happen. He's telling her this isn't going to happen. 
he's at least being truthful, but in the context of the play, he's not the honorable one, right? So we're not necessarily holding up absolute truthfulness as, you know, part of the vision of art. Right. At least not in this one. Right. Or at least there is some there are some ways in which being deceitful or not being truthful can also be honorable or, or maybe we're not saying that. I don't know. I, OK, let's dig into that a little bit. I, I just want to throw out one other like vision of honor. It seems like the soldier's code, the soldier's code oh, yeah, seems yeah, like yeah. a vision of honor. You know, like I'm going to go, I'm going to serve my country um, and domestic duties like being married or whatever, those are secondary, maybe even tertiary, but the soldier's code is a real big one. Um, and I am going to say, I think Parolis's vision of honor is sort of all reputation and bluster. And he doesn't seem to have much of a vision of kind of like inward integrity. That just doesn't even seem to cross his mind ever at any point. He's more into seeming than being. Much more into ah, seeming than being. That's a yeah. good way to put it. The, yeah. You know, when I was a kid, that was like, we called those people posers. And it was bad. Yeah. Like if you dressed like a skater, but you weren't actually a skater, didn't know how to ride a skateboard. But that was a, you didn't, that was, that was a line you were not allowed to cross, which I don't know. Today, it seems more like it's an aesthetic that you can have whatever aesthetic you want. And then it's just about your aesthetic. I don't know. But when I was a kid, you could not dress like a surfer or a skater or a headbanger. You couldn't wear the t-shirt of a band that you never, you didn't know any of the names of any of their songs or their members. Like all of that was off limits, but. Like you, what you're saying is you were a poser if you wore Vans and a Tony Hawk t-shirt, but never skated. Like you didn't right. know what a half pipe was. Right. And if you got in a conversation while you're wearing your Tony Hawk t-shirt and people are like, yeah, you know, did you go down to the park last week and you don't know where the park is? You're a poser. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. And that's like, that's like, that's what parole is, is like, he's the type of guy that wants to seem to be, you know, Marshall and isn't, but he doesn't care that he isn't. He just cares that people think that he is. And we're going to find that out early in the next act because they go off mm -hmm. to war, Paroles and what, the next act? do. Four? We're not reading for you. Don't talk about four. I don't oh, know. Oh, yeah. I'm ruining it for you. I'm ruining it for you. Um, if you're just tuning in, Matt is not reading ahead. He is only reading <laughs> act by in, act. You're very confused. <laughs> yeah, right. And you never would have guessed, right, Matt, that Paroles is going to somehow like his. Um, bluster is going to be exposed. You would never guess that. No, you would never guess that. Right, right, right. Um, Even though in act three, one of the characters tells you it's going to happen. Right. Like here's totally set it up. Yeah. yeah. Here's exactly what we're going to do. So, I mean, yes. just to look forward, let, let me just do the rest of the summary to look forward. The two guys go off to war while they're off at war. Excuse me. Um, Bertram kind of gets whispered into his ear by these two lords. Hey, Parolis is not who he says he he's not who he says he is. He's just full of hot air. And Bertram doesn't isn't quite convinced. And so they set up this trap, which is going to be snapped around Bertram's excuse me, uh, Parolis's ankle in four. The trap is basically going to expose him as a coward who is willing to squeal 
you know, to the enemy on behalf of his own fellow soldiers. That's what we're going to see in Act 4. A lot of the plot in this act, the second part of this act, is about Helena following Bertram and following Paroles. She goes near them in war, and she has a conversation with these two women. These two women, uh, one is an older widow, and one is her daughter named Diana. And Diana, we find out, has been kind of flirting with, or at least being flirted at, by Bertram. As Bertram rides his horse, you know, past their house into war, he kind of flirts with Diana. And Helena gets wind of this. And she also hears from the widow and from Diana that, yeah, Bertram doesn't like his wife at all. And what a shame. It's too bad that, you know, she doesn't, he doesn't care for his wife. So Helena hatches her own plot. Her own plot is so peculiar. I think we have to remember something that happens like early in act three for it to make any sense at all. The plot is basically for Diana to sleep with Bertram because Bertram has made this promise to Paroles and I guess to uh, Helena also that they that she will sooner be with child than they will consummate their marriage if the, if, if that makes sort of sense so he's basically it's a, it's a kind of like witty way of saying we ain't never getting together you're sooner going to have a child with me than I'm going to consummate the marriage and of course one follows the other not the other way around for those of you who are not like informed on that you see when a man really loves a woman <laughs> <laughs> <I know. laughs> I didn't sign up for that podcast. That's right. That's a different podcast. So this is Helena. He actually go ahead. Go ahead. He actually put he puts that in his letter to her, right? That he that she reads in this act. Is that right? Um, Yeah. That he spells it out, and 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 there's a specific thing about his ring as well. That when you wear my ring and you bear my child, then we'll be together, right? Yeah. And he's like, neither one of those things are going to happen. So what does he do? What's the plan that Helena has for the ring, Nora? Uh, So that's part of the plot with Diana, right? So um, she's going to convince him that she will, she will be with him if he will give her this ring and then, and you know, and then they meet up in the, in the bed. Yeah. Right. That's the, that's the plan, right? That's That's Helena's plan. plan. And okay. So I'm going to go back to like this question of honor. Everybody is tricking everybody. Um, It's tempting to see this play as a very kind of cynical view what real social relations and even social relations like the marriage contract, it's easy to see this play as a very jaundiced view. Like, what is it really? It's a series Mm. of deceptions. Is there such a thing Mm. as nobility, you know, in human relations? Nope. Mm. Not even Helena believes in that. You know, they, she is willing to pull this bizarre trick where she gets her husband to sleep with another woman 
to trick him into kind of coming back to her. There's no real integrity, not even from kind of like the brightest light of the play, who is Helena. I, I disagree. Okay. I think. Please. Me too. Um, <laughs> oh, good. I'm on Nora's side <laughs> you, this you time. Ahead, <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I think it's. Um, I don't, I don't think so at all. I think uh, the juxtaposition, especially in this act of the plot against Parolis and the plot that Helena comes up with, which is essentially against Bertram. Um, you know, you have one figure that is going to be uh, disrobed, exposed, right? Like he's going yeah. to be called out and shown for what he is, whereas she is putting on the disguise, right? She is going to... Um, be deceptive right in in this case um but i think it's it's saying that the ends justify the means when you are already the more honorable person oh right so almost like if your intentions are honorable anyway um some deception might be necessary i, I don't know if i want to go that far but doesn't but, that doesn't that support my point nora no 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 no, if, no. like it's justify the means <laughs> no come on matt no I, no <laughs> no i don't i agree with you nora but i would just i would just tweak it just this little bit please it's, it's not that it's not that the ends justify the means it's that uh, i don't even know how to say it but there's there's this sense in which dishonorability dishonor dishonesty and dishonorability is itself turning a world upside down. Right. Like she's and been driven. She to has to flip of... that world back upside up, right side up. Didn't I think we talked about this in true maybe where she's, she's, she's flipping the world right side up, but she has mm. to use the same mechanism to do that in some way. Like, like, like look in with paroles, paroles is seeming to be honorable, but he's not being honorable. And he's flipped the world upside down on on Bertram. And then these lords are flipping the world right side up by exposing Bertram or sorry, Paroles. Right. But but Bertram's mm -hmm. doing the same thing. He's seeming to the king. He's seeming to be a husband, but he's not being a husband. And so now she's mm. having to she's having to enter into his world to expose the world. And she's enlisting soldiers of her own. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I like, I don't want to, I don't want to be too weird about it, but um, it's, it's like, it's like the incarnation of, of God as man in Christ, right? Like he enters into a world, becomes man, puts on this, this flesh and then, and then um, deceives Satan in order to free us from Satan, but we're, but we've been captured by Satan through because of his deception. So Christ is deceiving in order to break, to undo the deception and then, and then, and then free us from that deception. She's doing the same thing. He's enslaved. He, he Bertram is deceptive and that deception is deceiving even himself. And then she's using deception to undo the deception and to put the world to rights. Yeah, I, I think I agree with how you're saying that, Matt. It's it, this is the this is the game that she's been thrown into, and so she has to play by the by the rules that are already there. She's um, 
she comes in as a very, I mean, the least powerful player there, right? Um, she brings the least to the table. But again, by the play standards and by, you know, the countess's report, she is the most honorable, right? And yeah. Especially if we're if we're using the countess as our clue to, you know, to who is good and who is bad, which I think is accurate. Um, then Helena is held up as the most honorable, but she is, like you said, playing by, uh, you know, playing by the rules of the game that she's kind of been thrown into. Oh. I would accept the language of the ends justifies the means if we're clear what we mean by the end. Like the end has to That's be That's just and righteous and honest and and honorable right. and all of that right. stuff, right? So it can't be the end that I want justifies my means, right. but the end that actually the world needs. This world needs this end that she's accomplishing. So, and that's the problem with the ends justifies the means language is that it becomes stretched to say, well, any end that I desire can justify the means, but that's not, that's not what this play is saying. I don't think at all. Right. Right. Within the context of this world. Yes. Yeah. So I, so that's why, that's why I was trying to put the more emphasis on the end itself being a writing of the world. But with that in mind, then I can accept the language of the end justifies the means or all's well that ends well. Sure. Yeah. 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 Right. I'm thinking about that. There's a scene in Pygmalion or in My Fair Lady where Henry Higgins, this, you know, very wealthy man uh, meets, oh, what is her name? Oh my gosh, I'm killing myself right now. Um, He meets the woman that he's going to kind of reform and in and you know she's she's she has no money she has no education she has no refinement and henry higgins meets her and he says have you no morals woman and she responds i can't afford them governor you know there's this kind of sense that like in the world that she lives in i'm think i'm saying back to you guys a variety of what you're saying in the world that she inhabits she has to do a lot of things that she would rather not do because the world is kind yes. of upside down. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I think of the same thing. Like, why do we think that Fantine in Les Miserables is honorable? And I do. Mm. Right. I mean, she, she's mm, right, 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 right. She's one of them. Right. But, but why do we think she's honorable? Because of why she's doing it. Right. Yeah. Why she's doing what she's doing. I've thought over and over about, um, I have a lot of friends who live in Argentina and if you really want to get anything kind of past border security, you have to bribe people. I mean, this is not just Argentina. Mm-hmm. This is plenty of places. You have to bribe people. And I remember as a younger man, I just clutched my pearls over this. What do you mean? Bribe, <laughs> bribe someone. But like you cannot get whatever, you know, this bus across that's going to take orphans to meals. You cannot get it across the border if you don't bribe somebody. And so it's, I think it's another variety of this argument that you guys are putting forth. The ends justify the means. And there probably might be some laws, some rules that you guys would not be willing to break in order to justify like this good end. Um, But what you're saying is, Helena is willing to kind of like to get what she wants, which is good. And because she's a good person, she's willing to do it. I just want to point out it's adultery with her married husband. 
But Diana's not going to actually not like, sleep with him. It's not Come. a bribe. It's not just like it's not like a bribe. I think a bribe and be like, yeah, okay, it's a bribe. It's a bribe. Well, the border guards I, I are going to say. I want to. I want to say, if you know, for my own statement, I'm not saying that I necessarily think this is still a good thing. I don't. Right. right. I, I don't because I mean, at the end of the day, what are the ends? Like, what what are the ends that we're calling or that the play is calling good and honorable? It mm. is that Bertram be happily or at least consensually married to Helena, right? And this started with him being forced. Right. So it's still it's still conniving to get him into this marriage. Right. Which, you know, Helena's great. Everybody says she's great. Why wouldn't he want someone that's great? But it's still not his choice. Right. Yeah. So you are are Nora. (laughs) Choice. Oh, this choice. So (laughs) 20th century Hollywood sentimental romantic mumbo jumbo. 20th century. Okay, now hang on a second. I brought something. You're so 1980s. To, 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 <laughs> <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so one thing, listen, when I was I was prepping, um, I was actually prepping for some stuff for um, the Taming of the Shrew for our, we sent out a, um, a, a packet of information to the classrooms where we uh, performed the Taming of the Shrew. So we sent some background information or whatever. And I was just literally proofreading that. And I came across something I didn't know before. Mm. Do you know how old Shakespeare was when he married his wife? Oh yeah. He was young, right? Can he I... was 18. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. He was and 18. She's older. And she was... How old I was when I married yes. my wife? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds normal. She was 20. <laughs> she was 26 though. Yeah. She was a lot older mm. than him. Right. So I wonder if if some of this is a little bit like, I, I don't know. I, I argued a lot in the first two acts that a lot of this was uh, him being Bertram was super immature. And Helena is obviously far more mature than he is. And, you know, making all of these sacrificial decisions for him. Um, and I, I wonder, I mean, do you think that has any bearing on it? His own his own marital experience? I think this is a great question. And let's just talk about, let's imagine that we're casting this play, right? Yes. Nora, like yes. you cast yes. plays all the time. Yes. Imagine if you cast uh, Helena and Bertram as, let's say, I don't know, like mid to late 20s, but they're the same age, basically. And you cast Paroles is also in his 20s, Right. Then you get all these kind of like confusing ethical decisions. But now, let me pose a different casting. Let's imagine Helena is maybe a little bit older. Maybe she's 22. Let's imagine Bertram is 18. And let's imagine Paroles is in his 40s. Right? Now Paroles is this older man who kind of never grew up who's super immature and maybe Helena is just wiser. She's not old, but she's just wiser because she's accumulated more years. And Bertram is just, he's just a late teen. He's just figuring it out now. For me, that gives, I can have a lot more grace for him if he's cast as sort of like the youngest of the three. Yeah, I think so too. Or, um, 
I mean, I, I can even buy it if, if Paroles is his contemporary, if he's, you know, a bro. Yeah. But would you, would they need to be young for you in order to have sympathy for Bertram? Would they be, would they need to be like 18, 19, 20 years old? Or could they be, I don't know, late twenties, early thirties. And you could still have like some sympathy for, for Bertram. I think, I think the importance for me would lie in the, uh, the difference with Helena, uh, Mm. that she was at least visibly older than he, uh, to make that, I think that's the relationship that, that would be important to me to, to portray. Um, cause you know, we talked about this a little bit with Shrew as well, with the difference in an older, um, Petruchio versus, uh, you know, a contemporary Kate and Petruchio and how that sort of changes, uh, changes some of this. So I don't know. I, I think I had envisioned Helena as, as quite a bit older than him. And I did envision Bertram as, as a younger guy. Mm. Um, I don't know that it has to be that way, but mm-hmm. I think the age difference is, is necessary for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's, I, I would cast Bertram young just because it's so easy to lose him as just yeah. so disreputable. So disreputable. But if he's younger, yeah, you can say he's under the sway of paroles and he's maybe scared of getting married, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and still the, the, you know, the more involved role of his mother. Yeah. Um, right. That he's not a, you know, autonomous yeah. adult male. Yeah. Not yet. Yeah. Not yet. In act three, when Helena is kind of, preparing this trap when she's in cahoots with Diana and Diana's mother, she insists, this is in scene seven, that her plan is lawful, right? This plan is lawful. Uh, Is the plan lawful? Maybe she insists that. I mean, it's not exactly like straightforward language there. It's a little bit, I might be, um, overemphasizing how quote lawful she considers it to be. Well, that, that whole passage confused me. Like I made a note, like, please let's talk about this because why don't you read it to hmm. us? He says in act four, act three, scene seven, the last five, six lines of it, right? Three, is it seven? Yeah. Three, seven, 43 to 48. She says, why then tonight, let us assay our plot which if it's speed is wicked meaning in a lawful deed and lawful meaning in a lawful mm. act where both not sin and yet a sinful fact, but let's about it. That's a lot of kind of bouncing back and forth. I mean, she does use the word lawful, but she refers yeah. to it as having wicked meaning in a lawful deed and lawful meaning in a lawful act where both not sin and yet a sinful fact. She's, she seems to be conceding, that there's lawfulness and yet wickedness and not sinning and yet sinning. And so I think the, I think it has to play on, I don't know. This is my question for you guys. If, if I'm, a, I'm, I'm, allowed, I'm allowed to ask questions, right, Tim? Yeah. yeah, yeah it's yeah. not the Tim only question show. Okay. <laughs> um, so is she is she kind of bouncing back and forth between her evaluation, her assessment of her own plan, or is she bouncing back and mm. forth on who who's 
for whom it is lawful and for whom it is sinful and who's not saying and who is sinning, right? Because in the, in the plan itself, Oh, I see what she's you're saying. not sleep. Yeah. Diana's not sleeping with Bertram. Bertram's not actually going to sleep with Diana. He just thinks he's going to sleep with Diana, but she's going to replace Diana in the plan. Helena, Helena is yeah. right. So Diana's going to say, yes, I'll right. sleep with you. Give me your ring and then I'll sleep with you. And then he's going to show up, give her the, you know, he's giving her the ring. He's going to show up, but she won't be there. It'll be Helena that's there. And he's going to sleep with Helena. Right. Right. So is she saying both not sin because it'll actually be a they, husband and a wife sleeping together. Right, right. And yet a sinful fact, because in his mind, he thinks he's sleeping with Diana and then wicked meaning in that, she's doing something deceptive or wicked meaning in that he thinks he's doing something unlawful and yet it's lawful because it's husband and wife. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know like who to whom or to what part of the plot or to what, which player in the plot is the wicked meaning being applied and then the lawful deed being applied and then the lawful meaning and then the lawful act. And then they're both not sin and the sinful act. Right. That's the part that, confuses me because she might be saying what you said tim she might be saying right this whole plan right. is lawful and the only wickedness in it is his motives mm-hmm. his what he thinks is happening or or maybe she's conceding what i'm doing is technically lawful because it's husband and wife but there's wickedness on my part because i'm being deceptive in this plan. Right. i don't know right yeah it's yeah i kind of i i kind of love the idea of her, the actress playing that as as a as a battle in her own mind mm. um you know what i mean like a like okay all right all right we're gonna do this it's it's good it's a good plan there's there are some problems yeah. for sure there are some problems but you know maybe you know it's gonna be fine because i have these good intentions and everything's gonna work out in the end but yeah, I, I know this is putting you in a bad position diana you know it, she's sort of warring within herself um I don't know. Could could you play it that way? What do you think, Tim? I think it'd be more interesting. I think it'd be much so. more interesting yeah. than her just kind of like laying out the whole scheme to Diana saying like, hey, let me just cover some legal bits before we get to right. signing the yeah. contract. You know, small print. Like, I think it'd be right. a lot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that would be a lot more interesting. Um, either way. Either she, the actress is playing it as kind of like an internal point counterpoint, or she's playing it as kind of an advocate for something that she's already worked out in her mind. It's either one of those. Mm -hmm. Either way, my question is this, doesn't it kind of shrink her character to us or not? You don't think so? Why why does it not? Not even a little bit. Not even a little bit. You respect the kind of, um, well, tell me why not. Okay. Okay, so let me roll my sleeves up for this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Lean in. So, the okay, wait, you told that story earlier about the the Argentines and right. the bus and the, and the right. orphans and feeding orphans. So, as I understand it, in the Old Testament law, there's, there's all kinds of laws. I mean, there's, there's repeated laws, and, they're, and the laws are repeatedly told in the, in the Torah about bribery mm. and and yet not once ever 
as I understand it, not once ever does the Old Testament law forbid giving bribes. Mm. It only forbids accepting them. Oh, and oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. And I can't remember if it's in the Proverbs or in the Psalter. I, I think it might be in the Psalter. So I don't know. I'd have to find this again. But there's a place in either the Proverbs or the Psalter where the the author tells the audience or the person he's talking to to offer a bribe if it if it's if it's required to bring about justice in a in a lawsuit. Mm. Mm. So so the, the 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 justice for the for the in the lawsuit is more important than than the fact that that wicked judge is only going to give us justice because he accepted a bribe. He's wicked for accepting the bribe and wicked for needing a bribe to, to give justice. But the briber is not, it's not, for, that's not forbidden right. in scripture. That person's hands are not dirty. I, right. So I think the Old Testament law has a sense of in which all's well that ends well, or well the done. end justifies the means. It, yeah. The end is well defined in that thing, in that context, right? It's about, justice it's about putting the world to rights and so so you and your friends are not are not culpable under old testament hebrew law um for offering a bribe even though in america you would be under american civil statutes you could be arrested for simply suggesting to a police officer that there's a bribe in at play here both right? participants in the arrangement are guilt would be guilty. Yeah. 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 And, but in, in the old Testament law, that's not the case. So, so with that framework in my mind, right. That I see, I see everything she's doing as operating in that framework where she's, she, something has gone wrong. Some there's an injustice here. I mean, look back to your question about honor, which you never let me respond to. You only let, the only one I respond to. Um, I mean, I said even Matt. I'm not accusing you of playing favorites, Tim, but you know, uh, <laughs> I slipped him a bribe. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and I accepted it. I'm, I'm looking, looking for my money. Where's my wallet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. Venmo me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well uh, okay, so in Act Three, Scene Five. Helena and Diana and the widow and Mariana are all having a conversation. And in line 76, Diana says, just talking about Bertram, because he's walking by, right? Says, mm. he, that with the plume, tis a most gallant mm. fellow. I would he loved his wife. If he were mm. honester, he were much goodlier. Is it not a handsome gentleman? Right. So she sees something, she sees something seemingly loving about him, but that's undercut by what she knows about his being. Mm. His being and his seeming don't match. Right. So that's undercut. And, and of course, you know, Hel Helen has just reported to them that she knows this woman that has been spurned by him. Mm. And, uh, and then, of course, in the next or two scenes later, she's going to admit that it's her, you know, tell them the whole story that she is the one. But but here. So she Diana knows 
that he has a wife back home that he's not being, that he's not loving and being faithful to. And this, that's honor to her from the woman's perspective, right? It's on from this woman's perspective, Diana's it, and with the widows it's honor is when the man loves his wife is, is honorable to his wife. So in some sense, it's a kind of bribe that's being paid to, to Bertram, but it's a disguised bribe. He thinks he's getting Diana, but he's actually getting what he's supposed to get, his wife. Matt, let's listen to that scene. Indeed he does. And Brooks, with all the can in such a suit, corrupt the tender honor of a maid. But she's armed for him and keeps her guard in armistice defense. The gods forbid else. So look how that, listen to how that scene ends, right? So she says that she, he were much goodlier if he were honest. Then she says, well, Helena says, I like him well. And then Diana says, tis a pity he's not honest. And then pointing at Paroles, she says, yeah. yawns mm. that same knave that, that leads, leads into, into these, these places. places. Yeah. And so now she's saying like she, well, I think to your point, Nora, right? Or Tim, or both of you earlier, that that to some extent he's a young man being led astray yeah. by this awful friend, friend, scare quotes, friend, that that even Diana knows of. Just in the, her short time interacting with him, she knows that Paroles has had a, an undue negative influence on Bertram, mm. leading him to these places. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Well, and can I weigh in on the opinion of of Helena being, uh, you know, lessened by this by this plot? Um, I, no, of course. I don't think so. Um, but like, like, yes, we're in agreement. <laughs> uh, but like, take a step back, you know, like, what is she actually doing? Who the only person being deceived here is Bertram, right? Diana is in on it. The widow, even her mother is in on it. You know, she, Helena does her due diligence. She, she goes through all of the right things to, um, you know, to enact this deception, but you know, we as readers recognize it as Bertram's greater good, you know, even if it isn't his choice, it's better for him. And she's deciding that that's better. And we, as the readers agree with her likely. Um, and, you know, outside of this context, we get the idea that Diana is maybe not the first, right. And, and perhaps this is, mm -hmm. um, this is putting a stop to a, to a long line of things that have been happening mm -hmm. um, to, to finally, you know, bring him to a census, stop him in his tracks, bring him home, correct the, the misaction. Right. And, um, and so not only does it not lower her in my estimation, but man, she's smart. Yes. Yeah. I, this girl, yes. like, 
man, she is brilliant. You know, she, she, in the very beginning, she heals a King when none of the other physicians could only in pursuit of this man that she loves. And now he has constrained her so much. And like, you know, if that's any other woman, she's a, forget that mm-hmm. have fun at the war mm-hmm. have a great time i'll be here with your mom living this my best life right right, right. but you living know? my but best she, life right right yeah bye but she but she goes after him in this you know extremely sacrificial act and within his own rules um devises this brilliant way of following what he says and making a plan within that i mean that's that's brilliant. And I think that's probably why this is a comedy this is, um, because it's the convoluted, <laughs> the convoluted yeah, plot. This is, this is Petruchio level brilliance on her part. At this point through act three, I think this play could just as easily, easily be called taming of the fool. And she's the tamer uh, and he's the fool. Right. And okay. And okay. The, that's a great it's point. The same. Yeah. I mean, it's very much the same thing kind of unfolding. Right. She gets she gets forced into a marriage she doesn't want. And then Petruccio has to you know win her. He's getting forced into a marriage that he doesn't want. I mean, if you accept those terms, I don't. But well, you do, Nora. You don't like the whole forced marriage I thing. Do. I'm all for it. Indeed, let's just go I back don't. to <laughs> just go back to the to the good old days. You know, now it's recorded. Um, now it's recorded. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't your son recently get married of his oh. own volition? I thought he got he married did. of his own volition. Was that actually arranged? And we just didn't know of it? Of course it was arranged. <laughs> Andrew and I made a deal. <laughs> those two, those two, it's what's funny is that they think they got married of their own volition. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, that's Aww. part of like, you know, the joy of arranging marriage is actually getting the, the marrying couple to believe that they were the ones who were choosing. Exactly. Exactly. Well done. The taming okay. of the shrew. I, I want, I do want to go back and defend something I said earlier in case it doesn't get brought back up again. If I don't get to explain it, then the comment is just going to be out there and everybody's going to think I'm a lunatic. Okay. I don't dislike Bertram. (laughs) Even though Nora said, even Matt can't possibly like Bertram at this point. And, but you're right. I actually do dislike Bertram. I think he's a tool, but I don't dislike him. And here's why. And it's not, it's not because I I'm sympathetic in any way. Like, or compassionate towards he was forced or he's being led around by this fool of a friend and he's just being used and like all of that's true. And all of that is worthy of some degree of sympathy or compassion. But the thing that makes me like, like him is this act three scene four line 38. The countess is speaking. Mm. Now, you know, something good's mm. about to be said because she's yeah. altogether yeah. lovely. She says, which of them both is dearest to me? I have no skill in sense to make distinction. So she's talking about Helena and Bertram, right? This is right after, I believe she said what, what you already mentioned, Nora, that she says, I only have one child now, right? I think this is right after that, shortly after that. And she says, which of them both is dearest to me. I have no skill in sense to make distinction. And what that tells me, what that tells me is that the countess does not see Bertram with rose colored glasses. 
Mm-hmm. She sees him in all of his faults As he and really wrinkles. Is. Yeah. And yet, and I, and I think that's all that it seems to me that that's always been the case. So even at the beginning in act one, where you could dismiss it all as, well, that's of course, that's her a mom with rose colored glasses talking about her son, mm. her only son. Uh, right? yeah. But yeah. this, this shows us that she's, that's not who she is. That's not what she does. And so she, her assessment of him, she knows something about him. And so the comment that you guys brought up earlier, uh, his sword can never win the honor that he loses. Like mm. She knows that he's honorable and that he's losing honor through this. And it, so I don't know. I think that that communicates to me somehow that there's something good in Bertram. That's that's being that's being masked or lost to us at the moment because of some bad decisions. But there's still something there redeemable, something worth loving. Mm. Um, And if there's not, then the end of the play is going to stink. Right. Because nobody wants Helena to end up with somebody who's not worthy. Yeah. Right. 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 And and that's that's a question that I mean, we haven't really asked it. And I don't know that Shakespeare really gives us that answer. Why? Why? (laughs) Right. Like, why did she decide that this is the one? And I mean, I think you're probably right it has a lot to do with the countess and and her what what she sees in him right and what she knows is there kind of is that is that what you're saying Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that she knows something that we you know we're not privy to because we're entering the play you know in act one scene one but she knows Mm -hmm. something about him from before his father died and you know as you pointed out in our first our first episode that our second episode that you know that his father's death had to had to create confusion for him make his life more confused and so he makes bad decisions and is part of her um is part of helena's love for bertram also kind of rely on the hope that he is going to jettison paroles at some point the like um, countess or helena helena that helena is betting that Bertram at some point is going to jettison Paroles. That's part of more and more. I see this play. I, I see the characters in the, the play viewing Bertram as sort of like the victim of corrupt influence, Paroles's mm. influence. Everybody, everybody, but Bertram sees what a creep the guy is, what a creep Paroles is. And everyone is kind of trying to, you know, push Bertram away from him, you know, push Paroles away from him. But as of the end of act three, he just doesn't, Bertram just doesn't see it yet. And he's the only person in the entire play that doesn't see it yet. Yeah. Maybe aside from Paroles himself. Right. Hmm. But you know what? I think that's actually a good place um, to stop because we are about to deal with the Paroles issue early in act four. Um, so I actually want to close with a little scene more of the countess who is turning into one of the other heroines of the play alongside Helena. Um, uh, I, I know that we're, we're ending, but can I just interject one thing, please? Yeah. Um, this is a poem that I like that. I mean, it's, it's Richard Lovelace who's in the 17th Lovelace who's in the 17th century. So there's probably, he's, he overlaps Shakespeare. What year did Shakespeare die? 
maybe a little bit later than this. Yeah, it's like in 15 or 12, something like that. Okay, so he's right after, he's born right after Shakespeare. Uh, He's English. Uh, So he has this poem called To Lucasta on uh, Going to the Wars. You guys know this poem? Mm. No. It's short, Mm. three, three short stanzas. He says, tell me not, sweet, I am unkind, that from the nunnery of thy chaste breast and quiet mind to war and arms I fly. True, a new mistress now I chase, the first foe in the field, and with a stronger faith embrace a sword, a horse, a shield. Yet this inconstancy is such as you too shall adore. I could not love thee dear so much, loved I not honor more. End. Now, mm. I don't think <laughs> I don't think this is the 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 idea that this poem is in is communicating. I don't think is what Bertram and Paroles are doing. But Richard Lovelace in this poem communicates something about manhood that that a, a man who loves honor is more capable of loving a woman than a man who doesn't care. Um, mm. A man who could just be walked all over and just abused and despised and whatever. And I, I always like to read this when I teach the Aeneid to, to, or sorry, the Iliad to teenagers. And there's this scene in book six where Hector's wife is asking him not to go back out to war. And he says, I have to. Like for mm. the sake of the city, for the reputation, for my son's sake, your sake, you know, all this stuff. And then I read this poem and the, and the, it's, it's always fascinating, especially how teenage boys and teenage girls interpret what the right move is there and what the right, and then what this poem means and whether, whether a girl can love a man who's not honorable, um, who hasn't, who hasn't won honor doesn't care about honor and stuff like that. It's always fascinating. And it, and it, I couldn't help but think of that poem in light of this play because he's, he's pitting, he Bertram is pitting honor against home. Right. Oh, I can't yeah. win yeah. honor if I have a home, right? Like there's this, like you said, Tim, you said he's making family secondary, even tertiary to this yeah. you know honor. That's going to be one for, in, in battle, right? But Lovelace is saying to Lacosta that that he can't do family without this. He needs this mm. so that he can be a better husband and a better, a better father, better. He, I could not love thee dear so much, loved I not honor more. He wants to love her dear so much, but he needs this honor to be able to do that. I think, right? So, I mean, not you know, poetry. Yeah. So, so you know, in that in that context, almost like Bertram is misappropriating. Honor, mm. right? Whereas honor should be something that recommends him yes. to a wife, oh. right? And to yeah, his mother, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And instead he's using it as a barrier. Like he goes and seeks out this thing that should bring him honor, but instead is is in service of his dishonor. Yeah. And then, and then to what extent is that what the Countess is saying? Like, is it possible the Countess is even saying yeah. that? Like your sword can't win you the honor that you're losing by doing this mm. because you've because you've pitted them against each other, right? Yeah. Instead of- yeah. I don't know. I, I just wanted to share that. Yeah. That's, yeah, that. I'm so glad you brought that up. That's yeah. really powerful. That's, That's really powerful. Um, next week, everybody, of course, act four. following our Q and a for this all's well that ends well podcast. I will be releasing a 
Life of Shakespeare, which we've never done on this show. We've never done a kind of like big overview. Who was Shakespeare? What were the times that he lived in? Um, Make sure you know tell, what year he of, died sort of things? when you do that. I just, <laughs> the funny thing is I've already recorded it and I'm sure that I say oh, somewhere no. in the podcast, like what year he died, but I just couldn't remember it. It's so bad. Um, but that will be coming up shortly after we finish the Q&A for this podcast. So that's what Ooh. we have to look forward to. Let's close you guys by hearing the Countess kind of give her account of what she thinks about Parolles because in Act 4, Parolles is going to unravel a little bit. Let's listen. I prithee, lady, have a better cheer. If thou engrossest, all thy griefs are thine. Thou robst me of a moiety. He was my son, but I do wash his name out of my blood. And thou art all my child. Towards Florence, was he? Aye, madam. And to be a soldier? Such is his noble purpose. And believe it, the Duke will lay upon him all the honor that good convenience claims. Return you thither? Aye, madam, with the swiftest wing of speed. Till I have no wife, I have nothing in France. Tis bitter. Find you that there? Aye, madam. Tis but the boldness of his hand, haply, which his heart was not consenting to. Nothing in France until he have no wife. There is nothing here that is too good for him but only she. And she deserves a lord that twenty such rude boys might tend upon and hourly call her mistress. Who was with him? A servant only, and a gentleman, which I have some time known. Paroles, was it not? Hi, my good lady, he... A very tainted fellow and full of wickedness. My son corrupts a well-derived nature with his inducement. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer after for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.